All right. How's everybody this morning? Come on now. Good. Loving it. Am I on? Is this on? Okay, great. Just making sure. Uh, hey, really glad you're here. Welcome to Ascent, uh, especially those of you, it's your first time. Uh, my name's Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here, so uh, really glad that you made it. Uh, I do want to tell you beforehand, um, if you are new to Ascent in the last year, I want to invite you, uh, to, even if today's your first day and you want to check it out more, uh, my wife Karen and I and our boys, uh, Josh and Micah, are going to host an ice cream party at our house today uh, from 4 to 6. We would love to have you come. Uh, afterwards, just come find me. I'll hand you a postcard. We'd love to see you there. We are actually bringing the bi- one of the bouncy houses over to our house for this purpose. Uh, ice cream, yard games, uh, root beer tasting contest. Uh, we're going to just have a blast at our house today. So if you're interested in coming and just meeting some other people, we think it's going to be a pretty good-sized gathering. We'd love to have you there. Really cool chance to meet some people at Ascent. So I want to invite you to that, okay? Uh, here's, here's the deal. We have been talking about a series called Love Handles. I got inspired by that one day, looking at the mirror one morning. And um, it's called Love Handles, Getting a Grip on Our Relationships. And so last three weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean uh, to have God-focused relationships where God can come in and really uh, Jesus shape our relationships. And that's what we've been talking about. And today, I wanna, uh, we're going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. This is a scent after all. So I'm going to throw you a curveball. We are going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about a very important relationship. But the relationship we're going to talk about today is a little bit different. We're going to talk about the relationship that the church, and I mean like uh, not just our church, churches, that the church has with a certain set of people. And specifically, I want to look at people who are younger. Um, I know we got a ton of people that come to this church that are middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, young adults. Uh, I want us to look at the relationship that the church nationally has with that age group. And I, uh, for those of you that are uh, middle college, I'm looking over here because a lot of college students hang out over there. Um, for those of you who find yourself in one of these age categories I'm talking about, I would love, this isn't a talk that's going to be about you. This is going to be us talking together. And I would love feedback uh, about kind of, am I right about this stuff? Because I'm a little disturbed about uh, a trend. And I want to share that with you in a second. But first, um, some of you guys don't necessarily know my background. Um, can I tell you, about four years ago, Bill and I started Ascent, and the thing, I was really nervous about one thing. You know what that one thing is I was most afraid of starting Ascent? Adults. I was freaked out by adults. Like, I, for 15 years before starting Ascent, pretty much all 15 of those years, I spent working with middle schoolers, high schoolers. I just, my brain works really well with that age population. It's just right there. And so a little picture, I was looking around kind of through some of the stuff. There's, there's me, I'm about 24 years old, 25 maybe, hanging out with Philip Pierce. He's all grown up now, of course. And uh, this was after some big water gun game that we had played up at Highlands Camp near Allen's Park. And now here's the funny thing. The other kid, the kid on the right there under my left arm, his name is Tanner Bennett. Uh, anybody know Tanner Bennett? That's because Tanner Bennett comes to this church now, and he is married to Kate, who's sitting right there, and they have kids down the hall that uh, they check into the cigarette cage in the optometry center or wherever it is that they go. And um, that, that, so I'm old, okay? And um, 
I look at one of the things I thought when I saw that picture was, man, you know, I shouldn't have worn hats that much because I think it cut off the circulation to my like whole hair thing that I had. I actually had good hair, gone now. But but this was this was my life for 15 years before starting Ascent. I just I loved student ministry. I loved working with that, and that's why today I want to tackle this. So here, I'll just let's just be honest. Some of you right now are like, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Oh. <laughs> Yes, it does. And I want to take you on a journey today to show you how this actually applies to every person at this church. Uh, let, me start, let me start by showing you some stats. Just throw this out to you. First number is 39%. A recent little study that was done said that 39% of people between the ages of 18 and 29 would classify themselves as nuns. Not N-U-N, nuns. 39% would say we are nuns. In other words, we have no affiliation, no kind of connection to any kind of religious organization. We're, when, when, you, when you ask them what they are, they say none. They, they click that box. Some of you might go, oh, that's great. That means three out of five would click something. That's good. Well, two out of five don't. And the fact of the matter is that a generation ago, this, is, um, uh, this number has grown four times in one generation. That is a serious sociological trend, that that would grow that much in one generation to 39%. Here's another number for you, 64%. 64% of that 39% would say, I grew up in the church and I bailed out. Something happened along the road. What is it? And for some of us that are older, maybe this is real personal to us. Maybe it's, you're thinking when we talk about this, a grandkid or a kid, this, what you don't want to hear today is anything that's guilt-inducing. That's not what we're after. What we want to talk about today is like, how do we, what's happening and how do we change this? 64% grew up and bailed and then 80%, this is the number that kills me, 80% of that 39% would say, my faith personally, is unimportant. I don't have anything in me that is important when it comes to my faith. And then get this, the majority of that 80% would say, and oh, by the way, I think Christianity is actually harmful. Harmful to other people, harmful to me. All kinds of reasons we could talk about with that, why that is seen that way. Here's what I'm begging you today. Man, I hope as a church, when I read those stats, this is not twiddle your thumbs. I hope you see those stats and you go, no, not here, not at this church, not at Ascent. We won't let that, I hope you burn a little bit and go, that can't be, why? What I want us to do today, we're going to go on a little trip together, and I want us to look at what is going on with this, how is it going on, and what can change this, and we got to start with the life of Jesus. And we gotta start in the scripture. And so I want us to look at Jesus and go, what is it about him that could wipe that stat out? Um, before I do, I just say, because we've had so many new people to our church, this is really important, we'll say this as much as we can. Like, when we talk about Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus, we're not like just looking at some good dude who's a nice teacher. That's not who he is, in, in our view. Our view of Jesus is that this guy is the center of human history. This is the crazy moment in the history of the world 
when God decided it was time to actually show up in a person, that God left heaven and came to earth in the form of Jesus, a person showed up. Not, we're, not, we're not after his morals and his good teaching. Those things flow out of who he is. But the center of human history is the fact that God decided to come and live among us and die among us and raise again from the dead. Holy cow. That's what we hold dear as a church. So if you've ever said to yourself, man, I wonder what God's like. I wonder what he does. I wonder what he thinks. What it, well, watch the life of Jesus. If you want to see how, what makes him mad, what, makes God, uh, what gives God joy, how God would respond to a certain circumstance, read the Gospels. Study this guy, because that is God in the flesh. Now, you don't have to agree with me on that to be a part of this church. Really important. Right? We're, not, we're, we're a church, not a club. So it's great when people believe different things on that here. But that's the conviction that I come to, Bill comes to, we come to when we read this. And so I say that because we're going to watch Jesus do something today that impacts this topic. And I want you to watch closely because I think this is the heart of God. So let's, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 19. Jesus has been out teaching. He's got these followers. He's always up to something. And here we are in Matthew 19, verse 13. And some of you know this passage well, and it's just beautiful. And it starts like this. It says, one day, it's very brief, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. Right? People have been doing this forever. There's a long history in the Old Testament of blessing the next generation. These parents are following in that. They, don't, they haven't figured out who Jesus is yet, but they know that he's got this connection to God. And so they're like, man, I, I got to have my kid be blessed by him. So they, they come flooding in ready for that blessing. And, you know, we still do this today, right? When we baptize or when we have uh, baby dedications. In fact, two weeks from today, we will do baby dedications. Incredible opportunity for you parents to say, I want to do everything I can in this community to raise my kid following Jesus. That's what that's about. So that's what these parents are doing. They're bringing their kids. They want that blessing from him. But there's a problem. Look at, look at the next part of verse 13. It says this, but the disciples, Jesus' buddies, the guy he's been hanging out with for three years, Jesus' uh, disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. So I just have this picture of this. Imagine this, okay? Here's Jesus' guys. They've all got their sunglasses on, and they've got like this little, you know, thing that they're doing, and one of them's on an earpiece saying, okay, yep, Jesus is now moving to the right. Yep, oh, there's a weird guy at 11 o'clock. Let's make sure that we keep him out of Jesus' way. You know, like, what are you guys like, uh, some kind of like secret service or something? Like, Jesus, you know, here, here's Jesus who is doing his thing, and the disciples, for some reason, are trying to keep these parents and these kids from coming to him. Why are they doing that? You know, you look at uh, our time, and what was so different about then that you got to understand is children were actually not honored at all in this culture. You're talking about a time frame when it was all about who has honor, who ha who's shame, who has power, and who doesn't. And little kids had none of that. In fact, there's old kind of um, rabbi teaching in Jewish culture that says, you're a fool if you chatter in the streets with children. 
So there, there's no honor in an adult spending time with kids. Bad thing. And the disciples know this. It's in the blood of the culture. And so they're like, nope, you can't. Jesus got seriously important stuff going on, you parents. Leave him alone. Because he can't, you know, he can't have time. He is trying to inaugurate, kick off the kingdom of God. Like, he doesn't have time for little kids and their snotty noses. You know, this is the beauty about Jesus. Again, what's he going to do with this? We want to know what God's heart is. Watch what Jesus does. Look at this next passage. It says this. It says, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. It's a double command. Let them come. Don't stop them. Bring them with emphasis. No, 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 no. You guys have got this wrong, disciples. Let them come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Man, guys, this is where, Je- this is where you get the heart of God. This is where you get Jesus saying, no, no, no. The heart of God beats for the hurting. The heart of God beats for the outcast. The heart of God beats for the powerless. No, let those guys come to me. They're not outsiders. The kingdom of God is all about these guys. And then look at this next passage. This is how this, passage, this little section ends. In verse 15 it says, and he placed, Jesus placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them before he left. And that word blessed, actually the New Testament for the most part is written in Greek and sometimes you miss little things like this. That word blessed is uh, the Greek word eulogy. You ever heard that word before? You go to a memorial service. That's how we think of it for the most part. But what eulogy really means is to say a good word about or to, or to bless them, to put a blessing on. But here's the key. In this passage, it's not just eulogy that Jesus does to these kids. It's a kata eulogy. Anytime in Greek you add a cat in front of the word, it means with emphasis. Jesus didn't just bless them, he did a kata eulogy. Like, I, like, you know what Jesus is doing? He is sticking it to the disciples right now. I love this. He's saying, you guys are so wrong. In fact, because you tried to keep these guys away from me, you've so misunderstood what I'm all about, I'm giving them a kata eulogy, a double blessing. We're going to spend extra time. Guys, get this. Jesus isn't running for office. He doesn't have to stop and kiss babies, give them lollipops. What is it about Jesus that makes him stop and kata eulogy? It must be because he actually loves them. He actually cares. He actually thinks that this is what it's all about. So what does this do with what I started with, with the church's relationship with people that are younger? Guys, I actually think, as we think about the kinds of people that Jesus loves, all those groups I mentioned, outsiders, outcasts, marginalized, I am here to argue today, and you can disagree with me and take me to lunch and buy me lunch and we can talk about it. I am here to argue today to you that I believe middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, young people today are in that category of people that have been put aside. Now, some of you, when I say that, you just bristle. What are you talking about? Kids today have everything. Their eye wallets, phones, 
you know, couches, like whatever. They got everything. I didn't have any of that stuff when I was a kid. I'm not here to argue that we are a more affluent culture or not. What I'm here to argue is that young people in our culture are relationally in poverty. More today than I would argue ever before. Young people today, let me say it again, young people today have a relational poverty. And that has got to change. Um, I don't know if any of you read Time Magazine. It's a really interesting cover of Time Magazine this week. Let me put it up there. The, the title there, if you didn't see this, the title of Time Magazine says, How Kid Sports Turned Pro. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here alive in the 1950s and play Little League Baseball? Raise your hand if you did. Did anybody play Little League Baseball? I see a couple. Okay. Guys, when Little League Baseball came about in the 50s, this is a perfect example of what we're talking about. When Little League Baseball came about in the 50s, it was all about how do we get kids, these little kids, these 10, 11, and 12-year-olds, how do we connect them with adults? Did you know that in the charter of Little League Baseball, there's no mention of like how many games you're going to win? There's no mention of are we going to get these kids at the pros or not? Did you know that the charter of Little League Baseball was all about let's create an environment that is awesome for kids, where they're going to connect to other kids and adults? Anybody notice youth sports today? Is that what we got? Guys, article's so interesting. And I, again, please disagree with me. This article is so interesting because it talks about how youth baseball now has become a $15 billion a year industry. That was with a B. Billion. Guys, here's my argument. Baseball, lots of different sports you can point this to. So many different things our kids are involved with today are evidence, I think, of the structures that were initially put in place, like Little League, to be a place where there were relationships that happened with kids that helped them grow up and become a member of community. Most of those structures have become about the adults that run them. Most of those structures have become about the success of the organization. Few of those structures still remain because they believe, like Jesus does in this passage, that they're worth our time, even if we don't get anything in return. Guys, we, I'm sorry. We look at why kids are falling away from their faith today in the world. I think part of it is they are under an incredible relational pressure where I bet you if I asked some of you guys who are in the younger category in this room, how many adults do you know that actually care about you regardless of how you perform on the field or the court or the diamond or in the classroom? Would they still love you? I'm guessing probably a lot of young people would say, I don't know that many adults that actually care about me outside of that. Man, we got to change that, guys. That, that can't be true. And that's, that, my heart absolutely burns for this. We need people that think like Jesus thought, even if they get nothing in return. Because here's what happens. I'll give you another number. Age 15. In my mind, age 15 is about the target zone where you can grow up 
doing all the stuff, playing all the games, you know, being a part of school, whatever it is, sports. It's about age 15 where I think young people kind of go, does that adult actually like me or do they like what I do for them? Does that adult actually care? Like, if I got hurt tomorrow and my parents couldn't pay them $3,000 for me to play that sport, would I ever hear from them again? Guys, uh, the word behind this that one sociologist calls this is, oh, so painful to me. Systemic, should say, systemic abandonment. Younger people have been systemically abandoned relationally. Man, I got to just tell you, if you're a parent, I think one of the most important things that you can do, there's a couple things. You find adults that are going to care for your kids. Find adults who will genuinely love your kids regardless of how good their test scores are. Man, I'll tell you another little tip. When they walk in the door from school, make sure the first thing you talk to them about is not their grades. It's them. Just think, kids aren't stupid. It's about age 15, I think, where it clicks in. Ah, they smell adult agenda. You know, we couch this whole series in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude. It is not self-seeking. I think about age 15, people start to sense, yeah, that's not real love, that's self-seeking. What if, what if young people were part of an organization, my prayer is the church, that they go, that's different than everywhere else. How could we do that? I want to I show you something. Um, I think there's some keys to this, and I want to take you a little bit and give you some history that I think will inform what we do now. So here, here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture this perfect circle that I just drew is the church. That's the church. And for years and years, for centuries even, what you had with the church was you had people with extremely long torsos, you know? <laughs> and you had adults, and you had adults, you had teenage-type people, and you had children. But they were all part of the church together. You realize this? Because it, it mirrored the culture. The culture that we were in was like... Um, you know, uh, 150 years ago, high school hadn't even really got going because what, what we had was we had you learned kind of your trade and life from your parents and then you went out and you did that thing. You took over the, you know, family business or whatever it was. And so you were learning from the household that you were a part of. And so the church kind of mirrored that. You had kids, teenagers, children, all a part of one entity, the church. Well... High school came along. I know some of you are like, yeah, high school, uh, Jesus went to high school, didn't he? No, 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 no. Like, the high school is actually a 120, 130, 150 year kind of new thing that we're trying. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a great thing. But 
what happened was, is with high school and when you throw in media, you throw in movies, you throw in TV, you throw in radio, you throw in all that stuff, for the first time, probably around 40s and 50s, something happened. Especially with teenagers, they started having their own different culture. Music they liked, the stuff they wore, the way they talked was different than adults. This is new stuff. Sociologically speaking, this is new stuff that we are living in right now. Let me give you an example. Here's just a real tangible example. This just kills me, man. Look at these shorts, okay? You see these? They're an awesome pair of cargo shorts. So I went uh, and I bought these recently and they were on the clearance rack for five bucks. And I was like, this is the dumbest store ever. Like, how can they let go of these awesome cargo shorts for five bucks? Like, this is a steal. So I buy these and I'm wearing them and, you know, it was somebody maybe in my house that is under the age of 20 that, that said to me, you know, Dad, break this to you, but those are not cool anymore, you know? Dang it, duped by the dumb store. I don't know the Netflix show I'm supposed to watch that tells me what shorts I'm supposed to wear or what socks I'm, you know? There's a different culture for teenagers than there is for me, and I'm 44 now, and I'm like, ah, darn, like, I just bought those, and it was like five years too late, you know? So what happens? So this is interesting. This is where, guys, I, I, sorry, I'm going to nerd out on you a little bit, but I want you to, I want you to understand this. this is important for how we view ourselves as a church. What happened was we first started noticing this, especially in the 1940s. And what we noticed was we were starting to have a hard time reaching. Teenagers weren't engaging in the life of the church in the way they were back in the 40s. So a guy saw this and said, you know what, we need to change that. Got one of the guys who's like kind of one of the fathers of modern ministry to uh, students, teenagers, uh, is a guy by the name of Jim Rayburn. Anybody know who Jim Rayburn is? You ever heard of this guy before? Jim Rayburn, if you don't know, is the founder of an organization called Young Life. Anybody ever heard of Young Life? Okay. It was, it was yeah, there's a bunch of Young Life leaders over here. Young Life started in the 1940s because a guy named Jim Rayburn, living in Texas, looked at the church and said, these, these, this church, these churches are just blowing it when it comes to teenagers. What do we got to do to change this? And so Jim Rayburn said, you know what? What the problem with the church is, is the church is expecting young people to come to their world and change their culture to fit adult culture, but teenagers aren't having it. You know what we're going to do, says Jim Rayburn? We're going to go to their world. We're going to go to where they are. We're going to go to the football games. We're going to go show up at their school. We're going to take them out to ice cream. We're going to, we're going to go to their turf, into their world. Guys, incredible theology of young life. idea behind young life was that in the same way that God left heaven and came to earth, which says something, it says that God views us somehow, you know, worthy of that, that he would leave the comfort of heaven and come to earth for us. Young life says, well, if God is willing to stoop that low, then adults ought to be willing to move into the lives of teenagers. It's called incarnational theology. That's what Jim Rayburn said. We have to go do this. We have to go into their lives. 
And so he created something called Young Life. About 20 years later, because the church is always about 20 years behind trends, about 20 years later, the church started hiring in the early 60s, started hiring their own staff to kind of do what Young Life was doing in the early 60s. And so they hired their own, you know, staff people. They had their own budgets. They had their own, like, overhead projectors. They had, you know, all this stuff. And they basically, it was not anymore, though, a part of the church. It kind of was supported by the church, but it kind of sat out here on the side. This became youth ministry. And what we did was we took our kids and we put them out here, and the church became a one-eared Mickey Mouse. Do you see it? It's a one-eared Mickey Mouse that we just became. And so for 50 years, maybe again, you've thought, well, churches have always had, you know, student ministries. Guys like uh, Maurice and Chris Lagadros and Ella, we've always had. No, this is a 50-year experiment in the life of the church. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think uh, is the problem with this model and with even like Young Life. What's the problem with this? Anybody know? You graduate. If you're not a part of the overall life of the church that Jesus like said was important enough to start, if you're not a part of a broader group of believers of many ages, that's the beauty of ascent, man. Look around this room. Many ages, so key to be a part of this, not just the Mickey Mouse here. You graduate, and where do you go? Well, if you're lucky enough to go to college, you might find a church at college that has a college Mickey Mouse here. And maybe the key then is how do we jump Mickey Mouse ears from student ministry Mickey Mouse here to the college Mickey Mouse here. By the way, this is where tons of that statistics leave. That and from middle school Mickey Mouse here to the high school Mickey Mouse here, they leave. Well, what's the problem with the college Mickey Mouse here for those that make it? You graduate. And then maybe you're lucky enough to find a church that has a young adult Mickey Mouse here. How do you graduate from the Mickey Mouse here, the young adult Mickey Mouse here? There's two ways. Anybody know? You get married and have kids. That's one way you can graduate from the young adult Mickey Mouse here. Anybody know the other way? They kick you out because you're creepy now. That's exactly how you get out of the young adult. I'm serious. It happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> can I just say, those of you in middle, high, college, young adults, in this room, um, do not let yourself get caught in the Mickey Mouse here. And I'm not saying, like, some of you are sitting there going, oh man, poor Maurice and Chris, you know? (laughs) Not what I'm saying. I wanna show you what the purpose of what I hope this becomes in a second. But one of the ways that you defeat this is when you're, even now, just those of you in middle school, high school, college, you know, out of college, Get involved in this. I mean, I'm telling you guys, get out there and serve coffee with Jackie. You know, get over there in one of the children's rooms and go spend time with kids because you're going to get to know their parents as well when you do that. You do that, you are changing the nature, the structure of the church. 
It's incredibly powerful. Because what we're after is not a Mickey Mouse here. The reason why we hire Maurice, Ella, Chris, the reason why we hire these guys is not to become their own little parachurch that's supported loosely by the church. The idea behind it is that we go, no, 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 no. Middle school ministry, high school ministry, guys, they ought to be a funnel. They have to funnel people into the larger life of the church. We have to introduce people into the wonder of knowing people of different ages, of being a part of something that's bigger than you. If you're isolated out here, that game runs out. That's why we work so hard. Part of our goal here is to go, no, we are going to be a funnel into the overall life of Ascent. So yes, you will see high school kids up here playing in the band. You will see high school kids at the door greeting. You'll see somebody back there running our tech. We believe so strongly that that is so key and we want to defeat this idea because it runs out of time. So what can we do? Guys, looking at that passage of Jesus, looking at the stuff we talked about, how do we become this church? This is going to sound funny. I'll tell you one way. Don't be grouchy. We just got to be non-grouchy. The funnel only works if kids are welcomed into a group of adults that aren't grouchy. When you get hit in the leg by a trike, you smile. (laughs) I'm dead serious. (laughs) When a hundred some college students get a care package and you don't, you smile. When you can't hear what I'm saying because there's some kid on the bouncy house back there, that is music to your ears. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, how tragic would it be if the church was only about itself? If the church mirrored the systemic abandonment that kids see everywhere else? Man, we got a chance. We got a chance to be that church. Be that church that goes, man, I, I just, I will do anything with generosity, with care. I will sacrifice. There's nothing that makes me honestly want to hurl more when people my age and older complain that there's too much stuff for young people and not enough for them. No, no, no. That's not who we are. By the way, if you're new, uh, I just want to add in, I'm not saying this because we have a problem here. I'm actually reinforcing the beauty of what Ascent has done over these last few years. This, this church is amazing with the stuff we're talking about. Let's, let's, let's push that even to the next level. You know, here's a way to think about it for us adults. It is always the responsibility of a mature Christian to sacrifice your personal preferences for people who have not yet decided. Let me just say it again. I want to put it on the board because I just think this is so key and it extends way beyond kids. Mature Christians will always sacrifice for those who have not yet decided. Are there things, I'm just looking ahead 30 years from now, 
you know, I'm going to be in my 70s, and I'm going to be coming to a church, I hope. And there will be stuff about it that I'm like, I can't believe it, you know. I hope not. I hope that the only thing that is so core, guys, the thing we never give up is who we believe about Jesus Christ. What we believe about the scripture. Yeah, that, in my mind, that's not changing. Nope. The way we go about reaching people, the songs we sing, the clothes we wear, unless it somehow violates who Jesus is, man, you got to sacrifice. You got to sacrifice for those who have not yet decided. It's a um, really interesting guy who has a church in Southern California. His name's Erwin McManus. Oh, man, I read this and I just went, He's talking about the church in America, and he said, uh, you know what, my observation of the church in America is that we have kept our pews, but we lost our children. Wow, that's a dagger. Let's never let anything, any kind of sacred cow get in the way of reaching people who have not yet decided. So guys, if you are somebody here, and there's a lot of them here, if you are somebody here who has decided at some, with some amount of hours in your day or your week that you are going to change this, that you are going to invest in people. If you're a college student who has volunteered with students, if you're in your 70s and you have gone into one of those classrooms over there, I want you to know you're a hero. You are, you are doing something that I think is so key to who we want to be as a church. Um, I want to take a second, and I'm going um, to end by honoring somebody. And when I call them up here, um, I want you to, like, pretend the Broncos just won the Super Bowl. So I'm serious. Um, some of you will be booing. I know I saw a Seahawks jersey. Yeah. Um, I, I want to introduce you guys to a guy named uh, Mitch Rosendahl. Where's Mitch? Send him up here, and you go crazy right now. Mitch Rosendahl, yeah. Um, I, I, it was a couple weeks ago, I was standing out in the cafe, and I uh, looked down to the tire center, and you guys, a lot of you have been around, you've seen Mitch. Mitch uh, has worked over here in the second through fifth grade room uh, since we met in the Omni Hotel. Since the first service, yeah. Since the very first service. This guy has, this guy has been in there with kids crawling on his lap, getting to know them, uh, just, you can't believe, this guy models what we see in that passage with Jesus. He's got better things to do, at least the world would think so. And, but that's not who he has been. He has committed his time to that. And so Mitch, as a church, we just want to honor you. That's, that's heroic work, and nothing says thank you like a $100 gift card. So, yeah. No, you got to take it, man. You got to take it. You got to, yeah. So, Go, uh, go, go buy somebody. I'll play golf with that. Yeah, go play some golf with that. This guy's actually really good golfer. So, but Mitch, we say thank you, my Thanks, friend. So, sure. way to go, bud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I'm going to pray, and uh, as, we, as we pray, uh, just a reminder, we're all children of God. So, I'm sure glad God thinks that way about children because ultimately we are one too. So Lord, we want to 
remember that today. What an incredible thing to take into our own hearts and lives that we are loved. We are those little children that you welcomed in. Um, We are that kid. And sometimes there's things that try to get in our way from coming to you. And God, we're so glad that you push those out of the way. Let us do that now for other people. Uh, Lord, especially thinking about um, the young people in our community, uh, some that come to church, some that don't come to church, doesn't matter, God. Let's love them um, the way that you have demonstrated in this passage. So God, we uh, love you. Thanks for being a heavenly father, a heavenly daddy. In Christ's name, amen. Guys, let's, uh, let's take a second and let's sing this last song. Sing it with all your heart, remembering that we're children of God.